Welcome to Parenthood Pals. I'm Caleb Hoyer. And I'm Melissa Fight Johnson. And I'm so happy, we're both so happy, to <laughs> welcome back one of my best friends, one of Melissa's newest best friends. That's right. <laughs> the spectacular Aww. MK Lawson. Welcome back, MK. Thanks. Man, I wish your viewers could see the look on my face, but you can't. It's only sound. But if they can hear my big smile, what an honor. (laughs) I was just going to say that that is one of my favorite like conversations ever is the episode you were on. I still think of it. I loved it so much. So I've just been really looking forward to having you back on. For anyone who doesn't remember, MK was last on for season two, episode 11, Damage Control. Now, MK, you were not a parenthood watcher. You had just watched that specific episode. Right. So now here we are two seasons later. So much has changed on parenthood. What's new with MK Lawson? Uh, (laughs) um, Yeah, I know. I was just going to say all the kids grew up so much. That was the biggest thing I noticed. But that's not that's not what's new with me. That was the first thing. (laughs) You could go back and forth. You could say one thing that changed with you and then one thing that changed with the show. (laughs) Yeah, how much older all the grandchildren look. Um, I guess a lot is new with me since the last time. The seasons of your life. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I I moved out of New York City. That's probably the biggest one. She sure did, folks. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I... um, I got a job in the northwest corner of Connecticut, so I'm teaching theater again. Yeah. <laughs> I, um, Do you like it a lot? Do you love it? I absolutely love oh, it. Oh, I'm so happy. I'm, That's wonderful. I'm near a place called Sharon, Connecticut. I'm actually in a place called Lakeville, teaching at a boarding school, wow. which is its own adventure. That's for sure. It is like a a community unto itself, which is kind of a special thing. Our head of school likes to call it a learning community. And I've loved thinking of it like that. It's just been amazing teaching again, full time. I really, really love it. I get to direct musicals here. And I'm near a place called the Sharon Playhouse where Caleb and I have worked together. It's a summer stock theater that we both worked at at which we worked. I realize I'm on with an English teacher. Oh, no. Um, <laughs> no, no, no. I also think, and all the sentences with prepositions. It's so archaic. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, we're, we're like in this Northwest corner where we, Caleb and I work together and it's so beautiful up here. There's creeks everywhere and trees and hills. Oh, that and sounds so lovely. Country. We're right by the deepest natural lake in Connecticut. Wow. I think I think it's that. I don't know if I have the tagline right, but we're in <laughs> a beautiful lake and a hill. And so it's very different than being in the city. But um, yeah, so it, it has been uh, transitions everywhere. Yeah. But as Caleb can attest, we now have a garbage disposal. <laughs> they do. Yeah. I spent Thanksgiving and... with MK and Tamara last year and I got to see the new place and it's so beautiful. Aww. You have a car now, and wow, yes. you can see yeah, the sky. Cool. And, <laughs> you know. Grass, we have grass. It's awesome. But yeah, as I guess that. I mean, what can I say? That has been the biggest change because we kind of uprooted. And was George with me last George time? George was Not with to be you. Too sad. No. Speaking of an episode about losing. A bird, right? I mean, her yeah. bird died. Yeah. But George, who I'm sure was 
dancing around. That was one of MK's cats. I yeah. remember you mentioned him several times and I think you even I'm said sure like you I think you were even like looking ahead, you know, like at some point it's going to be me dealing with George and so I guess you've had to. Yes. Ugh. He it was really wild. He got very sick very fast. We moved in mid-August. And he got really sick in early July. Wow. At first we thought just he needed a real teeth cleaning. And then, oh, his kidneys aren't doing great. And then within like two days, the doctor was like, his kidneys are like shot. They're uh, nothing, wow. which happens uh. to a lot of cats. And he was 13. But yeah, it happened so quickly. And within days, the, the doctor who had seen him through these handful of really pretty intensive surgeries said, you could keep him alive by sticking him with needles and doing fluid like twice a day. If you think you would want to live like that, I can't tell you you couldn't keep him alive, but I can't tell you he would have a good quality of life. Wow. And we were just on the brink of this huge transition, moving them out of an apartment they'd been in for 10 years. And us. there was just no way to fathom him having any quality of life. So we made the decision really alongside his very trusted vet to put him to sleep. And it was, it was the hardest thing I have ever done. I really think it was, it was, and it was, I don't want to call it like poetic, but I don't know another word for it because it was a huge transition. Yeah. 10 years in the same apartment, 15 years in the city. George, we had had George and Cleo for almost a decade, over just over a decade as well. So it ended up feeling more symbolic even than just you losing a little buddy. I can uh-huh. still just kind of imagine the way he was such a weird little guy, like almost more human than cat. Yeah. Like in the way he would snuggle with you. And uh. so we felt his loss very much, but it was also mixed up with huge transition. Like I, yeah. it was the hardest thing. And also in a way, the most beautiful thing, because I was obviously with him up through the very end. And that's a scary event, even with, even with a pet. It's like your survival instincts kick in because that, that's what they do because something's dying. Yeah. I just, my heart started beating fast. And I was like, did I tell him I love it? And it happens kind of quickly. And they were so caring of him and took such good care. But was I, t- did I tell him I love him? Did he know I loved him? And, uh. and then to try and get to the happy ending <laughs> of the story, when we moved here, we were so worried about Cleo, who had been with George. So we adopted them together. Well, she has been thriving in Connecticut. Good, okay. (laughs) She leaps up in the windows and there's like bigger birds. That's what I think is going on in her head. (laughs) Just those little pigeons were nothing. A crow. (laughs) (laughs) That was another big transition. Wow. That's probably all the new stuff. (laughs) Just those few things. (laughs) Well, I really felt you on the... George stuff when Mark and I were together like when we first got together he had a six-month-old dog Knuckles and so then he died when he was 13 and so yeah our entire relationship we'd had him and I felt like I kept saying I don't I'm not one of those people who thinks that pets are children I know I know that they're not but he was 
it felt like he was maybe the thing that made us a family and not just a couple, if that makes sense. And so it was like losing a third of our family. And I even told him, I'm like, this might sound horrible, but I'm like, with the exception of my dad, which was obviously the hardest death I'd ever been through. I was like, this is second hardest. This is worse than grandparents, aunts, uncles. That might sound awful, but I'm like, I, it's when someone lives with you and it like disrupts the fabric of your everyday life. And that's, so I, I really felt, I just wanted to say that before we moved on that I really felt that. So no, that's beautiful. I mean, I think that's really beautifully put. And if you had asked me even a year ago now, I was, I cannot, I didn't even picture myself able to go on without George, right? Like I would have said, no, there's no, I can't deal with it, but then it happens and you, you You do, do. that's, you deal with it. And, and as hard as it is, there's something gratifying in being able to have let George go in a way. There's something that is empowering in your ability to move through that, not without grief, but at least with also some kind of grace as well. So yeah, I feel like it taught me a lot. And I've had moments where I've had the pleasure of, even though it can be hard to talk about, so much happened right after that that I sometimes remember him in surprising ways mm. that I think it's div- it we're in such a new place and George was never with us here so yeah. there was such a fresh start after it but we still we'll still talk about him and yeah that's true knuckles never lived with us in the house we live in now you know um so it's like a totally new life, but we we were just talking about him this morning. So we were doing the ridiculous voice that we did for him for some reason. I don't know. Oh. Uh, this is nice. Well, how do we get back to parenthood? Do we say, okay, that's what's new in your life. What about what was new in parenthood after, you know, several seasons away for you? What were your observations or questions? Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, I jokingly said, I feel like, oh, I'll call them their actor names, maybe. May. Yeah, Amber. Amber. I think that was the first, I mean, because it starts off the episode, maybe, or it's early on in the episode. I was like, she's so grown up and she's engaged now. And that's such a big deal. And, oh, that was, I'm sure we'll get more into it, but (laughs) such a heartbreaking conversation. Yeah. Interesting, like moral dilemma of like, wanting her not to tell him I didn't want her to hurt his feelings because they were really hurt (laughs) Um, kind of keeping track of the kid that was I think what I noticed most was how much the the young kids had grown up obviously someone's running for mayor (laughs) Christina Christina Christina's running for mayor I thought that was really awesome and pretty badass just like like grassroots like they're in her living room having a campaign that felt so good and it was interesting to me because they have the kid with Asperger's Max, uh-huh. right? Yeah. And then, but what was interesting is for me catching up, I was also watching the other family who had the dead bird yeah, deal with their son who is like lagging behind yeah. academically. And you didn't know him before. Did you piece together that they no. adopted him? That you were like, he wasn't just upstairs the whole time in the episode right. you saw? I had to, I, I had he to wasn't ask a Judy myself. Winslow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Has anyone ever found the answer to Judy Winslow? Oh. No one knows. Oh. It's just one of life's we're great mysteries. We're not supposed mysteries. to ask. No, Bermuda Triangle. <laughs> <laughs> 
That, oh my God. Um, so I did not put that together. I think for, for me, I, I have such a memory and you know, when you're coming into a show new, you think, oh, was he not around because it wasn't pertinent to the episode? Mm, and right, was I just right. seeing the younger Sydney at, at that point? So they adopted him? They did. Yeah. yeah. When he was nine. Yeah. They've had him for about a year and a half. I think so. Yeah. I think they're about a year and a half into this and it's probably part of why he's behind. Like they didn't yeah. raise him and do all the things they did with Sydney. Although that gets into a really interesting nature nurture discussion, I suppose though. Yeah. yeah. So. Well, yeah, I'm sure we'll talk about that scene more too. I do. You, have you both found watching this show that every episode makes you cry a little bit? <laughs> Yeah. At some point. Yeah. Most, okay. mostly. I, I think that I tend to cry more the first time I watch something through. Cause I'm noticing like, mm. I cry a lot more. Like I'm currently watching this is us as we're filming this. There are like two more episodes and it's like the most, I feel like I ever cry at anything. I'm just sobbing. And I'm like, I think I did this with parenthood, but I think now that I know what's coming, it's more like the small moments kind of catch me off guard and make me tear yeah. up. Yeah. But I don't think it's the ugly crying that I'm sure I did my first watch when I was like, <laughs> yeah, that's definitely yeah. true for me too. Like, although I cried at this one, mm. both times I watched it mm. and I'll reveal when. Ooh, so intriguing. I know. All right. <laughs> I, had, I had two moments too. Ooh. What if they're the same? What if they I are? Bet, I bet they are. They're soulmates. <laughs> you know, I have to say there was, so there were lots of things that made me think about you in this episode, MK, but one of them, I'll just pepper in right here. So they use the word buddy on this show all the time. All the Usually time. to their kids, like Christina will call Max, hey, buddy, listen to me, buddy, buddy, stop. But then we'll notice it in other contexts too, particularly Amber calls her fiance buddy. Yeah, this like a lot. And in this episode, I think she called him Bud at one point. Hey, Bud, are you? And I and I was like, who does that? And then I thought, MK does that. Aww. MK calls me buddy. Oh, that's pretty really? often. That's so yeah. cute. I love that. Hey, buddy. Yeah, yeah. It, that's Aww. a that's a very big term of endearment for me that I. God, don't think I noticed till this moment of you pointing it out, <laughs> but it's it's kind of reserved for Caleb and my sister JC. Oh, that's an excellent like, company. My, yes. my main buddies. That's so sweet. Yep. I love it. Aww. Well, we couldn't be happier to have you back. <laughs> Let's dive in. Today we are discussing Parenthood Season 5, Episode 8, The Ring. It was written by Justin W. Lowe, directed by Lawrence Trilling. It originally aired on November 14th, 2013. And here is the TV Guide synopsis. Zeke gives Sarah valuable advice. Julia receives upsetting news from Victor's school. Adam gets some unwanted media attention when secrets from Christina's <laughs> past are revealed. Christina's and Amber past. makes a difficult decision that has an impact on Ryan. Okay. The biggest storyline that made me think of you, MK, was... Jabbar doing ballet because if any listeners don't remember MK and I worked together over and over and over again me music directing and her directing and choreographing she's a great dancer a great choreographer mm. great director so that is why I was like I want to talk to a dancer about this episode <laughs> and then also let me just play this scene because this scene specifically made me think of MK. So hey, how was ballet class the other day? Um, it was good. It was? Yeah, it was actually really good. 
Oh, it's really good. Yeah. What's the thing you like best about it? I like when we drop the baby off at Grandma's house. <laughs> yeah. Ooh. She's not much of a dancer. She's more of a drooler, really, huh? Yeah. What else do you like about it? Um, Mom and I get to have burger and pie after. She lets me order whatever I want because ballet's such a good exercise. Hmm. Yeah, I'd even do ballet for burger and pie. You have to move forward. Oh, okay. There you go. You know, buddy, if you're just doing ballet so you can spend time with Mom and eat at burger and pie, I won't tell her. You know, I'm just curious if that's... No, Dad. I really like ballet. Really? Yeah. Actually, I think I love it. <laughs> that's adorable. Oh, my God. Something about the, like, turn of phrase, actually... I think I love it. That to me is so MK. <laughs> you had, I remembered you telling me that. And so when it <laughs> happened is. in the episode, it was really satisfying. <laughs> and I thought it was so cute that I thought, wow, I don't think I actually use that turn of phrase enough. <laughs> actually, <laughs> I think I love I it. I think I love, love it. it. <laughs> so oh. if I, I, I will like make more of a point to be that charming and adorable. <laughs> Jabbar sets a high bar, phrase. you know? Yeah. yeah. So MK, in all your years of dancing, how many boys were in your classes? Like Jabbar is the only boy in his class. Mm -hmm. Is that common? Well, listen, you know, I grew up in Florence, South Carolina, or listeners may remember <laughs> if we talked about it last time. I grew up in Florence, South Carolina. So the short answer is, no or yes well to which question i'll be more clarifying uh no i never had boys in my ballet classes wow. i had a boy in tap class at one point and in my sister's classes there were two boys who came into the company and started dancing and one of them rhodes elliott who is still a very good friend the elliots are still very good friends with my, my mom has breakfast with them. Still very, like very good friends of our family. Rhodes was a professional dancer. I mean, he went on to dance with wow. Houston Ballet, I think. Wow. And he now has a family and I think maybe teaches. I don't think he's dancing professionally anymore. But that was sort of this crowning glory of the company was this. So it was interesting of all the people I grew up dancing with, I think he might be the of all people who went on to dance professionally was this male dancer who wow. came up through my studio and my dance company in Florence, South Carolina. And there was another kid around his age. I feel like he continued. I don't know if he ever ultimately danced professionally, but I want to say went to like North Carolina school for the arts or some other uh, school. So in a way, I think like they were two very exceptional examples of boys in dance that I got to grow up around, even though I was a little older than them. But in terms of having like in that scene where he's partnering the girl <laughs> a little bit, she's doing maybe a little pot of shot and he's like got her. I never had that at that age. Wow. So that was somewhat amazing. And I mean, my sister teaches at, at a ballet school in Wilmington, North Carolina. And even she'll talk somewhat about kind of noticing the gender dynamic mm. in a way where they had hip hop and tap for Jack and Andrew. They, they took um, dance classes, but not ballet mm. because girls would take ballet. So even from a very early age, yeah. they were sort of identifying, well, this is a type of dance boys do, and this is a type of dance girls do. 
And mm. even my sister would say, no, they don't really offer this for, they would have like a, a boys class and Jack and Andrew loved it. I wow. got to see a handful of dance, their dance performances. But yeah, when I think back on it, could it be a combination of the gender norms of the South that maybe it was surrounded by girls for that reason? Or is that more common throughout? Melissa, you took dance as a child. Were there ever boys in your classes? No, there were only boys in the very, very youngest classes, I remember. It, it, and, and there would be a handful. And that was back when they were barely doing anything. They were just sort of shuffling around and everyone was clapping because <laughs> they were so cute. And then I feel like once shit got real, they were gone. <laughs> and I'm just, I'm like fascinated by this subject in a way that I wasn't even when I was watching the episode, because I'm now realizing that, you know, Crosby name drops Barishnikov and I'm like, I think as a non-dancer myself, because I know I took dance, it doesn't count. I was terrible and I hated it. Um, so, but like as a non-dancer myself, Barishnikov, I think is the only professional ballet dancer I could name. So for something that's like, quote unquote, for girls, it is interesting that I think arguably the most famous ballet dancer is a man. And you you made me think of that earlier when you were talking about those notable examples. And then I think maybe you could apply that to other things. Like there might be more women poets, for example, but the ones that people know are are mostly men, you know, like, I think that can be like a really interesting thing to to wonder, like, who gets famous yeah. off of these things, even if the odds are surely it would be a woman, there are way more of them in all these dance classes growing up. I don't know. Fascinating. To when me. I remember hearing on yeah. dance moms, that at competition dances, if there were ever boys, they would talk about the boys getting pee-pee points. Oh. Oh, my God. I think both <laughs> as like, oh, wow, they're just such an exception that mm -hmm. it's almost like a novelty. Like, oh, look at this boy dancing. And then they throw points at him. And then also, because it's so rare, it's like, well, we want to encourage yeah. these people wow. who are like right. in the minority in this. And so they would, it's like, well, if they win, maybe they'll keep dancing. Yeah. Both of which I think are maybe maybe well-intentioned, but kind of messed up. I also just did not like the term pee, -pee point. No, who does? It's horrible. Oh, I my know. God. Like <laughs> right. And I watched that show as devotedly as you did, I think, Caleb. And I forgot that. That's just, you know, things you forget until you remember. No. Yeah. No. How could I have forgotten pee, pee point? Well, you know what? You know what really fascinates me? I'm curious. Is it like four girls, quote marks, is it like societal expectations become reality? Because like the same is true for like girls getting like not in STEM classes as often as boys and, you know, things like that. It, it's not, if, correct me if I'm wrong, because maybe there actually is something to how we're wired. Because I remember saying that in an earlier episode and our guest Aaron was like, I read this book, we're different. And I'm like, I don't, I don't disagree that we're different, but like, you know what I mean? I feel like, isn't yeah. a lot of it not really the way we're built, but it's what society tells us we should and should not do. I mean, I God, I, I would be happy if someone had data or something to yeah. prove me wrong, but it does seem like I mean, I remember b visiting Jack and him saying, uh, hearing music come on and saying, oh, that's more like girl music. Mm, yeah. And I was like, oh, no, no, no. <laughs> Don't face such a thing. And then I also think about, you know, conversations here even about girls feeling a bit, uh, 
I don't want to use too strong of a word, but feeling a little bit of discrimination in the STEM, like yeah. in the robot, we've got a very robust engineering and robotics program here. And um, girls feel a little bit of it being a, a boys club. I do think there's something people think about ballet being a thing girls do yeah. and, or computer coding is something boys do or there's, it seems like there could be, if we all just could agree or decide not to make kids feel that way. I think that's what's so beautiful about this episode is like, no, actually, I think I love it. Yeah. Like to see the purity, like this innocence of not having a stigmatized, I'm the worst, the worst stigma, right? Is like, I'm gay because I like ballet, like oh. ballet all becomes a feminine thing. And even if you like it, that has nothing to do with your sexuality because it's just an, a beautiful art form yeah. that takes a lot of skill and dedication and discipline uh, that it is labeled as feminine and then all of a sudden bad because of that. Right. If you're a man doing that thing. And I don't know if it exists in the other way around women who just try to step in. It's so, to me, it's a slightly different dynamic. Um, it's almost well, like- Well, not in like STEM, but in like- the WNBA. Mm. I know, like, you'll hear lots of homophobic wow, yeah. remarks about women in the WNBA. And and the thing is, like, the proportion of lesbians in the WNBA, I believe, is way higher than in the general population, as I'm sure the proportion of gay men in the ballet world is probably higher than just, yeah. like, people on the street. But still, it's, like, not a... If we're trying to get rid of those gendered ideas about you know this is girl stuff this is boy stuff we we should all stop talking about that stuff too like yeah and because i think they're all intertwined too to kind of answer your question melissa i'm sure some of it is just what people are interested in yeah i know i've definitely heard that like boys tend to be more interested in things mm -hmm. like trucks and guns and stuff and girls tend to be more interested in people. Hmm. And it's like, well, then it makes sense why there's more female nurses right. than male nurses. And maybe more sense why there are more male mechanics and electricians than female. But then I think even if that's what starts those divides, then they get into like a weird feedback loop. Like if a girl goes into a STEM class and feels like it's a boys club, well, whatever reason boys gravitated there in the first place, they're probably just reinforcing it over and over yeah. again. It's yeah. like, oh, there's only us boys here, so let's just do... Dude stuff. Let's just make this an environment comfortable <laughs> for boys. Yeah. And then even if a, a random girl does have that interest, she goes in there and is going to feel like, well, I don't know if I'm really welcome here. Yeah. Do I belong? Well, yeah. And it, you know... You're really helping me see why a certain line sort of rubbed me the wrong way. Because overall, I loved this storyline. But I was really bothered when Jasmine sort of picked up on Crosby's discomfort and said, don't worry, he's still your boy. You're, you're, you're very boyish boy or something like that. And I thought, is that like a, a nod to that? Don't worry, he's not gay. I, like, I didn't mean to reach, but is that what that means? Or does that just mean you'll still be able to like bond with him the way that boys do. I, I wasn't sure what to get out of that. Yeah, it does sort of also insinuate that ballet is gendered. Mm -hmm. Or that she, at the very least, guesses that that is where Crosby's thinking is going. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I got to say, as a gay man, I felt that subtext 
throughout the whole thing. Wow. And not even in a negative way. Because one thing I appreciated about the storyline is that for all of Crosby's discomfort, I felt like he didn't actually go to the masculinity place all that much. I felt like it really was more about he's going to be interested in something that I just have no interest in and I can't. Mm. Am I going to be able to connect with him? And I thought even if the subtext of that is what if my son is gay, I feel like that would be a very real concern for a parent for the exact same reason. How do I relate to my gay child hmm. when I am not gay? That's interesting. I'm just not going to understand in exactly the same way because I don't think we've seen anything to make me think Crosby wouldn't love Jabbar or yeah. accept him if he was gay. But it would be harder. Yeah. And you know that old thing that parent I I didn't get a hint of this in the episode either, but I couldn't help but pers- kind of prescribe this idea of like, oh people are going to say things, assume things about my son or say things about that, this sort of preemptive mm. protective-ness, yeah. but which wasn't really insinuated, but that's just, Caleb, when you were saying that made me think, yeah. oh, is there also a, a just a little bit of whether or not I can relate to it, other people will think this thing, he could be bullied, just like projecting too far down the line. Yeah. It also makes me realize that he... Something that I feel like has been a revelation in season five is that Crosby is a lot less secure than I thought he was because it reminds me of an earlier episode this season where he was really self-conscious about getting a minivan and he thought that that like was wrapped up with his identity or something and it was a lame car to drive. Anyway, I, I only mentioned that because I'm like, does this extend to his child? Does it like, does he want his whole family to project a certain image which doesn't Mm. really sound as as noble as what you just said mk that you know he's worried about him being bullied and i like that read a lot more and i i hope that's what it is like more that concern Mm. and it might even be but like if he wants or they might be like opposite sides of the same yeah yeah like here's the noble version of it and here's the petty version of it yeah absolutely it makes me too i mean i'm sure we talked about my dad a lot in the the last episode and I, I couldn't help but think of him a lot watching this episode because my dad was a five-letter sportsman. He went to West Point to play football on a wow. football scholarship. Okay. And he had three daughters and we did the Nutcracker every year, the <laughs> Nutcracker Ballet, and we loved dancing and singing and <laughs> really girl stuff. I mean, well... Anyway, it just made me think a lot about my dad because we, you know, we didn't have the problem of desiring to be in something that wasn't girly that Mm -hmm. had a stick. And so that issue wasn't at play. But why it made me think of my dad was he was the most devoted. He wouldn't have known shit about ballet, (laughs) but he was at every performance. Yes, He could have hummed you a tune probably from the Nutcracker Ballet once it was all said and done and Hmm. was at every recital and every voice recital and every dance performance. So I felt that love of he does not like this. He'd be loved. He, in a way, weirdly, reverse gender stereotypes, I guess, would have loved for us to be on the softball field or the mm-hmm. soccer field or playing rugby even. Because that would have been his way of connecting. Yeah. Wow. And actually, I'll give it to my mom, too. She, I think, was certainly very well-rounded and she's very, very, very smart. 
but she was really sporty too. She played tennis and she and my dad really bonded over that because she was really athletic too. And then they had these daughters come out and were like artsy fartsy as (laughs) you could get. And they both supported that so thoroughly. That's beautiful. And, And just especially my dad, I never felt like a lack of connection about it. If he was ever fearful of that, I never saw it because he was so supportive and he was always there. He might have slept through at least <laughs> half, which is fair, I think. Like it's he, it's he long, got some nap time you know? in. It's long. There's some boring parts, I guess. <laughs> you know, parts we weren't in. So, and then of course my sister JC came along and did start playing sports. Hmm. She did many artistic things as well, but played basketball in high school and soccer. And that was something they did really bond over. So it's kind of beautiful full circle for my dad to at least have this kind of surprise child (laughs) surprise baby who came into the world and and you know now JC works at ESPN and oh yeah yeah sports are very much a part of her life so yeah I think that support is a just a sign of good parents and I thought in this scene between Adam and Crosby Adam was speaking from experience as a very good parent Although I'm sure, Melissa, let me use my <laughs> Karnak, the magnificent powers of prediction to guess which line in this scene you did not like. Yep. Jabbar <laughs> chose over basketball for his winter sport, ballet. It's not even a sport. Ballet, that's cool. It's cool? Yeah. Ballet. What's the problem? Well, he was in the outfit. He had the whole, you know, he was twirling around the kitchen and uh, uh-huh. super thin. Yeah. You know, here's what religion I am, pants. Yeah. Yeah. Are there any other guys in the class? No. Look at that. Look at that. He's he's working the ratio there. It's just a bunch of girls and him. He's got it made. Okay. I'm not concerned about whether or not my 10-year-old's going to get laid. I'm talking about being able to share something with him that I could connect with him on. I get it. Okay? Crosby, your kids aren't always going to be interested in the things that you're interested in. They're not always going to be interested in the things you want them to be. Okay? I wish that Max had been more interested in baseball than bugs. That's not how it worked out. Okay, So I got interested in bugs. That, I think, is yeah. great advice. I loved the second part of that right. clip. Yeah. And, you know, and even the part that's gross, I think, is revealing, though, because it sounds like something you might expect Crosby to say yeah. or Crosby to respond to. And for me, the fact that Crosby reacted to that as if it was ridiculous. I loved that. I to me that that made me feel like, oh, he's actually not concerned about the masculine aspect. It right. is that he has no interest. Yeah. Oh, because if he right. were concerned, he might be like, oh, that's true. Yeah. Or maybe this is like he can make out with all these girls who are all nine. Yeah. Like and him. I was like, oh no, Cros- <laughs> that is no comfort to Crosby at all. Yeah. So I don't think that is bothering him. Although, but then he's saying, well, these little tight pants and. But maybe it's just like, I wouldn't be caught dead wearing that. And he has no problem with it. It's so interesting. What's going on here? Well. I don't know. Yeah. Earlier we were talking about the the whole like cool thing. And I'm remembering now that there was even that episode a while back, seasons ago, I think, where Jabbar and Max were fighting and Crosby was trying to talk to Jabbar by being like, well, look, Max struggles. He's not cool like you and me, (laughs) like essentially. And... Like, I wonder if it is throwing him for a loop because part of the reason they bonded, I think, is that he's like, 
okay, I have a kid I didn't know about that threw me for a loop, but what a cool kid. He's into all the same shit I'm into. (laughs) And, you know, like, I think that was a real comfort to him. I think this is throwing him off. That's so interesting. Wow. It is interesting too, to hear a little throwaway that that I had didn't hear either about ballet not being a sport. I bet that just gets you riled up. Yeah, which I can understand. I actually fully understand that you can't qualify it as something you compete in, like play teams necessarily. Yeah, no one wins ballet. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, maybe Barishnikov. But But yeah, I mean, it just, it, it just because it's something that's so beautiful, I think it's very easy to take advantage think it's one thing that, that all arts can suffer from a little bit is it looks beautiful and therefore you don't sort of see there's an amazing image of like a dancer on a point shoe and then the bloody foot mm. like not in the point shoe just to sort of help people perceive how difficult ballet dancing is yeah. how yeah, much what actual, you see and what you don't yeah yeah and just like the sheer discipline and the muscular organization, strength, conditioning, and flexibility that you need. You can't just be strong or you won't be flexible. And you can't just be flexible or you can't kick your leg up in the air. You, it's this delicate balance of all these things that do feel very, very, very athletic. That because it's beautiful or easy looking, it makes me think of Fred Astaire, who was mm. such a disciplinarian yeah. and so disciplined at, at his art. And he made it look so easy that you could easily take, or actors, really, for example, the entire cast of this television show, <laughs> yeah. which is just like, it's such an A-team of actors. And I mean, I'm teaching young people about acting now. And to them, so often it's like, oh, I learned these words on the page and I say them. Hmm. that's acting it's like it's a start (laughs) you're not wrong (laughs) that is one of the many things you have to do and how the arts can seem elusive that way it's like the easier you make them you kind of it's like an iceberg metaphor all the discipline and hard work it takes I remember finding out that my brother-in-law took dance when he was a child Lindsay's husband I was wondering which one (laughs) who is a real he does crossfit he's a doctor real typically guys guy and when they were first when they were like newlyweds and they lived in new haven for a year i was up visiting them one time and he was talking about his oldest son and saying oh you know he might do gymnastics or he might do dance like i did and i went like what you you took dance love that and he said yeah when i was a kid i took i took tap and jazz and i believe ballet too And he had no hangups at all about him having done it or about his son doing it. And he was he was saying, you know, it's just it's not that the kid is going to become a professional dancer. I mean, you could discover that if you put the kid in dance, you might discover that they have this insane aptitude. But he said it's just about at that age, teaching children body awareness and proprioception and strength and conditioning, anything to just get them in touch with their body and get them active. Wow. And uh, I was like, yes, that's so true. I I think we attach all kinds of significance to things, especially for kids, when they are like so far in front of that stage. And also, what if your kid was the next Barishnikov? 
but you never put them in a dance class. Like, wouldn't you? What an idiot! Let's say you'd they be. let's say they were <laughs> about to stumble upon that gift. Yeah. But but you wouldn't even plant the seed, let alone yeah. water it. And, oh damn! You know, like, would you want your child to lose out on that? Anyway, most kids are not going to be Barufnikov. Mostly it's just going to be like, let's go have fun. Let's go be active. And eventually I'll get interested in something else. But most of them aren't yeah. going to be professional football players or professional Either. actors yeah. or any of those things. So like right. that can't be the benchmark or else they wouldn't do anything. They'd just sit around because yeah. it's like, well, no point. Just take it for all the I, other benefits. Yeah. I think honestly, this is the thing that's really bumming me out about Crosby on this rewatch because I remember thinking that Crosby was so cool, like genuinely cool. And he's cool in the ways that like you think of people being cool, like he knows music and he's, you know, funny, but man, he is not as comfortable in his skin as I remember, you know? And, and I really like the fact that your brother-in-law didn't have any hangups and didn't have any hangups about his his son taking dance. I'm like, that's cool. You know, like yeah. if Crosby was like, okay, I don't get it, but I'm in. I'd be like, what a badass. And I don't mean to say that the show should only be presenting him as cool and how dare they show him struggling with anything. <laughs> that's not interesting TV, you know, obviously not. <laughs> but I do think that it makes me reflect on, I guess, maybe how I define cool, like, 10 years ago when I first saw these kinds of episodes. And now, like now I'm like, oh, confidence is cool. Back then I may have been tricked by, (laughs) (laughs) he's a musician. He's cool. Yeah, swagger. Yeah. So anyway. Also, especially after that scene with Adam, where Adam said, you know, you just got to connect with your kids over whatever it is that they're interested in. It's probably not going to be the thing that you're interested in. I felt so foolish for not, it didn't even occur to me until this scene that it would mean a lot for Jasmine right. to connect with Jabbar over this. Wow, you look like you're in a good mood. I am, I am. I just I just love these classes with Jabbar. I mean, I, I'm trying not to jinx it, you know, I, but it seems like he's really into it. I don't know, we might, you know, we might have something. Yeah, like a little Barishnikov on our hands. Yeah, a little Barishnikov. What, isn't that a good one? That's a great one, but I, I know you're not really cool with it, so. No, no, I'm not not cool with it. Really? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm <clears throat> it wouldn't have been, say, my dream pick that he was in the ballet over, say, muscle cars and motorcycles, but, you know, I'm not, like, hung up on the masculinity of it all or anything. Okay. Yeah. Good, because you, cool. you really don't need to worry. He's still going to be your boy, your very boyish boy. Okay. okay. Why are you getting I'm sticky just, with I'm me? I'm getting sticky with you. Go. Okay, 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 okay. Bye, Ada. <laughs> Say bye to your brother. Bye, Addy. Hey, have fun at ballet. Okay. Lie hard. Mm-hmm. Kick high. Love you. Limber up first. Come on, Mom. Let's go. Why don't you come check out a class? I think you really like it. I will think about that. I mean, I don't want to step on your guys' thing. I don't, you know, I don't want to take that away from you. Okay. Hey, okay. what? Well, What's that Fine, look? have a good day. I can't win. <laughs> I've got to say, I really love how realistic that fight was, like if you could even call it that, because it it really wasn't one of those cases where I'm like, God, he's being a dick or, or she's being unreasonable. It was like they kept saying things that I'm like, oh, I get where she's coming from and him. Oh, they're just like kind of missing each other's points yeah. a little bit. I thought that was so interesting. Like even him saying, I don't want to step on your guys's thing i think she kind of 
knows that might not be true and he just doesn't want to go. But like, I could actually see a universe. Yeah, me where, too. Yeah, that's interesting. I was like, oh, that maybe that's really considerate. Especially for me, like I said, it hadn't occurred to me. Jasmine, so they say Jabbar's 10. So she has a 10-year-old boy and she just had her second child yeah. and her daughter. What did Jasmine imagine the odds were that her son yeah. would connect with her over her love of dance, yeah. which she has yeah. devoted her whole career to? Yeah. And now here he is showing an interest. That would mean so much, I think, to someone who loved that, that they now get to share it with their child. Yeah, I felt foolish for not realizing, like, that's really special. And in that context, yeah, maybe Crosby should just let them have. And Jabbar said one of his favorite things about it was getting to go out with mom after. It's like, yeah, yeah maybe that should stay. But I'm ultimately I'm glad he went because I do think it was at least partially a line. <laughs> and I think it was important for Jabbar and for Jasmine to see that Crosby can show up. Yeah. Like, I forget who said it, but, like, Maybe it was even on this show, like 90% of parenting is just showing up. Oh, maybe. That sounds and like something like, someone Yeah, Crosby, say. just go. Just go. Just show them yeah. that you are there for them, literally. You don't yeah. have to know anything about ballet. Right. Well, MK, like you said about your dad, he was there. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. And I do, I, I get where Crosby's coming from. I mean, I think of my dad. Would he have rather been at a baseball field? I think, yeah, is the answer. <laughs> but that's not what his kids loved to do. And so in a way there's this, yeah, I guess you would sort of mourn the loss of in this moment in time, in this moment in his kid's life, that he's not doing the thing that he loves, but yeah. What does it mean just to, to show up and support your kid? Isn't that more important than connecting with them over the thing? Or do you kind of I don't know if my dad were here. I don't know what you would say of like, no, that took a toll. Like all those (laughs) ballet recitals, you know, do you just kind of go, oh God, I really don't want to have to sit through ballet recitals. Can my kid be into whatever he said, muscle cars and (laughs) motorcycles, motorcycles, just because I would enjoy then supporting them and being there for them in a thing that I also enjoy. Yeah. I think you'd also, it would have to make a difference when you see what your kid gets out of it. Mm -hmm. Like in recent episodes, Victor has shown a real interest in auto mechanics. Yeah. Working on the car with Zeke. Now, I'm sure Julia doesn't give two shits about cars (laughs) or mechanics, but Zeke makes Victor read from the manual and he helps him work on his reading So then Julia goes in and says, God, I love that car because she sees the benefit it is having for her child. I think once Crosby sees the benefits of ballet and Jabbar, or I mean, he's already seen it some in this episode, just how much he genuinely loves it. I think I actually love it. (laughs) Then how can you be like, no, I want him to stop. (laughs) You're just a horrible person. Yeah. <laughs> well, and it reminds me that like sort of a sore spot for me is, is, you know, I've had people, not very many people, but, you know, I had an aunt uh, tell me that like not having children is selfish and perverse. That's an exact quote. <laughs> and, wow. you know, I'm, I, I don't think it's perverse, but I, there might be a selfish <laughs> element, honestly, truly. But then I think 
But I don't think being a parent is inherently selfless either. And I think this kind of talk that we're That's having, a good point. yeah, I think like if you want your kid to be into the stuff you're into at the kid's expense, like if you're just kind of trying to create little yous and not meet who they are, I think that's quite selfish actually. And I think that your dad watching you and all those ballets <laughs> is totally selfless and beautiful. And so I think that's interesting. It's not a binary thing. Like you, you have kids, you're selfless. You don't have them, you're right. selfish, right? It's like all over the place. There are all kinds of shades of gray, but I, I do think that Crosby, I think, sometimes teeters on that edge of selfishness and then usually finds his way over to the side of good, I think. So anyway. I am pretty sure there are some children of parenthood employees in that ballet class at the really? end. Really? Oh. Because on IMDb, one of the dancers is named Georgia Ehrlich, and the show's composer, John Ehrlich, has a daughter named Georgia. Oh. <laughs> Another ballerina oh. is Isabel Masson which is the same last name as director-producer Dylan K. Masson. I'm sure it could be a coincidence, but is it? No. I bet not. I bet I'm not. like, I bet they're just like, we need a what? ballet class. Whose kids are in ballet? Bring them to work. Bring them. Or even not. <laughs> like, let's just right. teach them yeah, these little things. Yeah. I did have to ask MK. Plie hard. When <laughs> Jabbar is plieing in the kitchen, are they pretty bad plies? <laughs> they're not great. He's like tipping way forward, right? Yeah, yeah. He's sort of like creating this instead of going straight up and down, which just engages the muscles in in a different way. But he'll he'll take more class and he'll learn. Exactly. Maybe he was acting like a beginner. Yeah, Yeah. probably. He's actually fantastic. (laughs) Well, let's move over to the ring. ring. Not that ring. (laughs) (laughs) Call back. The first note I had on this storyline was that if you listen closely in the scene in the recording studio, you can hear Zach, the drummer, steal a joke from Friends about Amber's ring. (gasps) And the joke from Friends is when Rachel, I think it's a flashback, is showing Monica her engagement ring. And Monica says, You can't even see where the Titanic hit it. <laughs> oh, and Zach says and that? And Zach says something very, he, I think he says, You can almost see where the Titanic hit it. Yes. Almost see where the, the Titanic is not hit it. Wow. I was like, Zach, you did not come up with that. <laughs> Zach's just watching friends and waiting for his moment, you know? <laughs> yeah. Anyway, interesting. what did you think about Amber's insecurities? about the ring <laughs> what wait what is that you haven't seen it oh my god that is like i can't see honey that is so pretty yeah it's oh, yeah how sweet oh yeah you don't really love it it's a little bit absurd right it's not just me i mean it's bigger than any of my family members' wedding rings. I mean, that's I, a little bigger than mine, but <laughs> like, what are we doing? Enjoy it, you know. But I don't need it, and he spent all of his money on it, everything that he had. You guys are going to be married, you know what? Have this talk with him and tell him that you're worried about finances and maybe just. I'm just scared. Just I don't hurt his feelings. I feel like he's going to get upset. Are you sure it's just about the ring? Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, Yeah, everything's fine. I just, yeah. Good. Do you think that was good advice from Christina? I think it was really good advice. 
Actually, every time, both times I've watched this episode, I feel like what a great family they seem to be. <laughs> and it's not, I'm sure yeah. they're, they, there's more complicated things and they get into murky things. And also it's a television show. So I think that's part of the point. But I do think the advice to be honest, especially when you're starting out a relationship, is really sound. And I have to say, I was curious, again, kind of dropping the needle in, how much was that related to cold feet about the relationship without any context? I thought, oh, is this too serious for her, like too much too soon? But at least from my vantage point in this slice of it, it seemed that it was it felt frivolous to her. Like this didn't mean as much as building their life together. And she didn't need that ring, this fancy thing, as beautiful a gesture as it was, as much as she, the practicality of starting a life together meant as much to her. That's at least how I read it. Eventually, I wasn't sure early in the episode, I had to watch it play out. But I did think it was good advice. I did too. And I I agree with you. Except I think the the additional context of more episodes makes makes me think that if she is insecure in my opinion at least it's not about how much she loves him cuz she definitely I don't think she has any doubts about that but I do think it makes her nervous that she doesn't feel like she can just go tell him this the the way that she's like oh I'm so I don't want to tell him it'll hurt his feelings I feel like maybe she recognizes that might be a bit of a red flag because you should be able to just go tell someone. But then I'm like, well, no one wants to hurt their partner's feelings. So maybe I'm reading too much into that. I just think it's a red flag that she can't go have that conversation. I don't know. What'd you think, Caleb? Well, in terms of the advice, I was really impressed with Christina because I thought she was a great sounding board. Because like at first, before she heard Amber's insecurities, she said, it's great. You know, (laughs) It seemed like her initial impulse was to be like, just enjoy it. Enjoy having a great ring. And I think depending on what her feelings about it were, that could have been good advice. Like if it were like a, I don't deserve something this fancy. Oh, just get over yourself and enjoy it. If that's what he wants to give you. But when she hears a little more, I think the way she pivoted was great. Cause I thought Amber's concerns made a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. And to me, it's also, it's like, it's all just about the individual person and what they want and what they're comfortable with. I'm sure there's tons of people who love a big flashy ring. It turns out for whatever reason, Amber isn't one of them and it feels like ostentatious or maybe gaudy or something. And she says, I don't need it. I'm like, well, that just sounds so practical. And Melissa, I hope you're not offended. No, but I, I know your like your wedding ring is like not a diamond. No, it's a it's pearl. A pearl. Yeah, And I always think it looks very, again, I don't mean this as a, a knock. I always think it looks very understated. Yeah, I do too. As far as rings go. Yeah. But I think, but I know that it suits you and what yes. you wanted. So I just think it's your wedding ring or it's your engagement ring, I suppose. You should have what you want. Yeah. you know, And I think that sort of like gift aspect of it or that like, there's almost like a ritual around now I, the man, present you, the woman, with the ring and other women will compare it to their rings and 
status will be conferred. And I win because mine is bigger than all the yeah. other. Yeah. Like that might be part yeah. of why she's afraid to hurt his feelings. Cause like, oh, well he really excelled at his end of this ritual. And now I'm going to like cut his legs out from under him. So mm-hmm. I think it yeah. could be that, but I think with the context we have, it could also definitely be the like, I never know when he'll be offended by something or upset by something. And I don't want to just, I don't want to go near there. And like, Oh, it makes me think of, I hope uh, not outing my brother-in-law's family by saying this. (laughs) I've always found it interesting. My sister spent the first Christmas with them. And like one of them would, he has two sisters and a brother my sister was mortified because they, they would open a Christmas and go, I don't, I don't really like that. Oh, oh wow. Like if it was a sweater or something. And Charlotte was like, what? Because in our family, they like, thank you. I think in most families, that's what you do. Yeah. And wow. at the time we were like confounded, befuddled. <laughs> how, like, anyway, years have gone by. And I think on the, that now and think how nice. Yeah. Just drop because- it. Just yeah, drop because all that there, pretense. Yes, exactly. There's this level of, so I guess I'm paying them a compliment. <laughs> <laughs> I look back on it now and just with some distance and think how, yeah, how refreshing that you get to say, oh, this sweater just really isn't me. Can mm-hmm. I have the return receipt or get something you want? Yeah, sure. And there's this freedom of, of not offending, but also not being offended. Yeah. Um, because the love is not in the thing uh, yeah. at all. That's just a gesture. And if you don't like the thing, oh, please take it. I'm, I would much rather you have what you want. I guess I thought of them also watching this because I completely sympathized with not wanting to hurt his feelings. And this yeah. really part of me that surprised me as, as the watcher, I was so in sort of enchanted by this story and how it was playing out. And I thought, Oh God, don't, don't, don't tell him you're going to hurt his <laughs> Yeah. I thought in ah. that same way, do you sort of take that sacrifice of say he put so much, I mean, my, again, talking about my dad again, but he loved to buy jewelry for my mom. He, he, I can remember going shopping with him. He loved to look at the shiny things. He would actually, <laughs> that's also as a direct quote. I just love to look at these shiny things. And he would just stare and stare. And so he really did love doing that for my mom. I guess it was a good match because she enjoyed the joy. I don't think he ever gave her something she didn't truly mm. love. Yeah. I could really be romanticizing that. <laughs> really she also could have a list of like, but there were times I did get the feeling she was like, Jack, this is really too much. I don't need this. I, mm-hmm. I have enough. But for him, he loved putting the money he earned into that for her. So I think I was maybe feeling some. No, that makes sense. Bit of that yeah. for them of wanting her to be able absolutely to tell him, yeah, how much was the tension just was I'm afraid of offending you versus I just really don't want to. I don't want to hurt your feelings. No one wants to do that. The thought you put into that. and That's a good point. Yeah. I also thought about we had discussed Amber and Ryan's PDA before and Mm -hmm. how they like would just make out in front of anybody. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of at the drop of a hat. And how we like don't trust relationships like that. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, but I thought like 
who is the ring almost like an objectification of that that PDA oh. issue of like because some context that you didn't get MK is that I think it was the very last episode Ryan saw Amber with the band that's recording there yes and just saw her kind of flirting and I don't think in an inappropriate way because she never she never felt caught by him like he'd be around and she's like oh hi everyone this is my fiance like yeah it wasn't like she was there was nothing guilty. secret or you know and I don't think Ryan was upset in that way either I think he was just noticing like and maybe oh, uncomfortable yeah he's like oh she's really wonderful and everything. and then boom and suddenly there's this amazing ring and she didn't have one before and it felt a little like oh. they were already the world, engaged I want the world to know I have laid claim to this amazing person <sighs> which is this comes from insecurity yeah. and I think he was insecure and then it just feels like an overcompensation oh Yes. Now let me buy the world's biggest ring <laughs> to show that I love her this much. Yeah. And, you know, it is the thought that counts, which means the thought can't just be biggest is best. The thought has to be tailored to the person because it isn't it's just a symbol true. of their love. Like, practically yeah. speaking, it's something she'll wear every day and she should like it. And I remember... Um, Jasmine got that spider ring. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they got engaged in Halloween. It was like a little... Crosby yeah. took a little like trick-or-treat oh. ring. So, <laughs> see, like I'm such a sucker but see, for the crap thought, like that, that. I agree. I think that yeah. was so much more romantic. So much more romantic. Ring. Yes. Well, and like... She doesn't still wear it though. I no, I think she has a normal <laughs> ring. Um, but I, you know... So Caleb's sister, Jay, is my best friend. <laughs> you okay? <laughs> yeah, I'm just imagining if Jasmine did for her whole life wear a, a plastic trick-or-treat spider ring. Oh, my God. No, but um, so Caleb's uh, sister, Jay, is my best friend. And I remember we got engaged and married around the same time, which was really delightful. And we were both with our now husbands for like a really long time before we got married. But anyway... We did this thing where we like told each other exactly what kind of ring we hope to have. And then we just let our partners know that they could just contact. So like basically Mark called Jay. He was like, all right, what does she want? Yep. And Lucas called me. <laughs> and I thought that was kind of fun. And the fact that they called and they didn't just say, no, I got this. I can pick out my own ring. Thank you. That's yeah. thoughtful because they wanted to be sure that we got something we liked. And actually what I wanted was a not very expensive pearl ring. And it's funny, you know, most married women have two rings in this society, you know, in, in the U.S. because our custom is yeah. you get engaged, you get one, you get married, you get another. And no offense to like really literally every woman on the planet who's married because that's what everyone has. But I, for whatever reason, I was always like, God, that's so American of us, isn't it? We just buy another one. I, like I know pile some cultures, pile it on. In some cultures you wear the ring on one hand and I'll that signifies. Yeah. Like, supersize my ring? Yeah. Like sometimes it means like you're engaged if it's on your right hand and then you move it over when you get married. I'm like, of course right. we don't do that. We're just like, buy me more. And sorry, I sound like such a dick, I guess. But I just mean for me, I do just have the one ring and and people were like, aren't you going to get another, a wedding ring? I'm like, it will magically become my wedding ring once I am married. And if I decide and we agree that it will be my wedding ring, then Then it is. Yeah. Yeah. So that was like kind of a tangent, but I really thought of that because I'm like, no, the thoughtful thing is getting something somebody loves that fits their character and who they are. And not everyone is into 
expensive. And oh my God, it would have stressed me out so much if Mark had spent everything he had on a ring. We're people who put 20% down on our home. We like pay off our mortgage. We like do, we, you know, like we want to go travel places. Oh my God. And so for Amber to be talking about wanting a life as opposed to just a ring, I thought that was beautiful. And courageous. I mean, the fact that she eventually chose to have the more difficult conversation was really satisfying. I can't, I can't stop thinking about how much money it was. It was so much. It was all of your combat pay. I want you to have it. You're worth it. This is what I wanted to spend my money on. This is a special thing. But baby, that's what I'm saying. And it's not that I don't love that sentiment because I do, but it's, it's, it's kind of like it's our money now. And so I I wanted to talk about what the, the best way to spend it is because like what if we wanna travel? What if we wanna what if we wanna start a family or get a house? Like don't we Well then all those things are gonna come. We're not gonna get them all at once. But this is something that you're gonna have for the rest of your life and you're gonna wear on your finger every single day. And I want you to feel special and I don't want you to have some cheap ring that's not but gonna baby, I would feel just as special and and love something a little smaller just as much if it felt like we wanted to maybe save some of that money for something else. That's all okay. I wanted to get your opinion on. I, uh, yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll, tr- we'll bring it back and trade it in. Well, wait, babe, I want to, do you feel good? I mean, does that yeah. make sense? Do you want to save some of that yeah. money for something else? Yeah. Like, it makes perfect sense. It's not Ryan, a big deal. are you upset? I no, love you. I love you too. It's not a big deal. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> it's so, so awkward. Hard. It's so hard because you know his feelings. But you know, I don't know if we would segue to this eventually, but it reminds me a lot of, I I was really so moved by the conversation that Julia and her husband have with Victor. Mm. And he's starting, obviously, the emotional toll of what he's just been told. He says, I would like to be alone. Yeah. I think he like so clearly articulates his needs. They say, okay, and they're kind of moving, but not fast enough. And then he's (laughs) yelling at them. Yeah, yeah. Get out because they can't, because no one in a TV show ever gets out on the the low, (laughs) the low get out. I said get out. That's what Yeah, yeah, because then you can't do the really dramatic. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But I, I feel like that's such a he deserves to be a little hurt that she yes. didn't love it. Like he deserves that space. And I, it seems like she's willing to give it, but it just reminds me of, I, I saw a lot of beauty in that moment too with Victor, where he is able to articulate to the adults in the room. This is what I need right now. And they, it, it took the loud yelling, get out, but they did. Yeah. They did. They said, that's your feelings. They're valid. And now here's your space. Uh, Uh, And not that the scene kind of ended before we got to see if that would have played out with Amber. She's so generous and trying to say, I want your opinion on it. And, you know, not okay. Do you understand where I'm coming from? And yet he seems to be stuck in probably his feelings being hurt, which I just thought to myself as I was re-listening to it is really valid. Well, I know in their last scene, she's like, come to bed. And he says, I'm just going to relax for a minute. Do you think that was maybe his way of saying, like, I need some space. Like, I don't want to snuggle up to you right now. I'm still working through. It might have just been the end of the day, too. I am that way. Yeah, I think it would be valid if it was. I don't think he articulated it as clearly as Victor did. I thought the the fourth, the fifth, oh, tender subject. I called him a fourth grader. The fifth grader did. You know, 
Uh, no, I, I'm now realizing in an ideal world, I don't think it's that Ryan wouldn't have gotten his feelings hurt because that is so human. And he did put so much thought into that. I 100% understand him having his feelings hurt. I, I would never be like, get over it. Like, I no, I think, I think his reaction makes perfect sense. What concerns me in that moment is that he can't be as honest with her as she is with him. And even later when yeah, he doesn't go a- to bed, I think he's not being honest. I don't think he had a hard day. I think that he's being kind of passive aggressive. I think what he ideally would be able to do is when she says this to say, okay, yeah, you know what? That makes total sense. I'm going to be totally honest. That hurt my feelings. That doesn't, I'm not trying to guilt you. You should have said it. You were right to say it, but it's going to take me a little time to sort of process that. Cause I, yeah. I had a different feeling about it than you did. And then they could be honest and talk to each other. But instead she just keeps saying, are we okay? Is everything fine? And she's like, yeah, 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 yeah. Like he's not willing to talk about the hard things and MK this, you don't know, but like he didn't tell her that his father is dead. He doesn't tell her anything hard about his life. It's very like, no, my whole life started when I met you. Everything bad that happened before this is in the past. And I feel like, okay, so Ryan, what we're learning is not good at the hard stuff. And I think if Amber has any sort of hesitation about marrying him, I think that's why she's like, I don't want to present something hard to him. He's not good at that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think when I was thinking purely from the outside, observing their situation, I think one of the issues that needs to be addressed is how did he get what kind of ring she would like so wrong? Yeah. I think, well, he got it wrong because he didn't even get it for her. Yeah. I think he got it for him. I think he was feeling that insecurity of this could get taken away from me or something. And so what did he think would help that? I'm going to get this ring. Okay, well, then that's you getting it for the reason you wanted it, not thinking what kind of ring would Amber love. And it is complicated because I think all that you said just now is exactly true. And I think he is telling the absolute truth when he says like, that's how much I love you. Yeah. I, I agree. Because both of those, it's still like, yeah. like a little more complex, which is why it's a good TV show. But I think both of those things were absolutely oh, yeah. true. Which yeah. is what yeah. tug at the heartstrings even more. Well, and you know, one of the compatibility factors, not super romantic to talk about, but like something that Jasmine and Crosby were asked <laughs> was, are you a saver or a spender when they had marital counseling? And oh. This might indicate that Amber is a saver and Ryan is a spender. And right away, that's troubling because you got to be on the same page with that, you know? And so, I mean, I could see that just stressing her out. And, you know, real quick story. I won't name names. I actually know of a couple who got engaged and the woman hated the ring. And it wasn't more or less expensive or fancy. It was just a completely different style than her taste. Like she only wore silver jewelry and it was gold, you know, it was things like that. It was just the opposite of what she would have wanted. And they ended up not getting married. And I, I know it wasn't because of the ring, but I think the ring sort of symbolized, do you know me? Like, do you know, 
which not to put pressure on anyone out there who's like, I'm thinking of proposing now I'm super yeah. nervous, <laughs> but, <laughs> but you know, I thought it was a really interesting thing. Like if you get some one something and, the, the, but then of course some people are just bad at buying gifts and don't put so much meaning on it. <laughs> so anyway. how long after that did they break up? Anyway. Well, here's a little story lineette in this episode, but I feel like Carl has been on the show for a few weeks now. Oh, Carl. Damn it, Carl. <laughs> and I think it's safe to say the fleshing out or attempted fleshing out of his character has begun. <laughs> you coming? Oh, I, you know, you're the tenant. I'm your super. I don't, I don't think. I know you think it's going to be, you know, me and a bunch of 20-somethings doing shooters, but I do have some friends in their 30s, even their 40s. Don't tell anybody. <laughs> Thanks, but I have a family thing. Okay. <laughs> Thanks for hanging on to it. Sure. Hey, Sarah, you know, uh, for what it's worth, even if you don't want to come to my party Saturday, you should go to a party. Yeah. A woman like you should be out on Saturday night. Ugh, okay, let me just start. <laughs> I think we're supposed to think it was sweet, and maybe it was, but as someone who likes a lot of alone time, mm -hmm. and I am frequently drained by socializing, and I don't find lots of typically fun things <laughs> very fun, I hate it when other people take it upon themselves to tell me how to have a good time. Well, you should do this. You should do that. Oh, you just don't know how to have fun. Oh, just cut loose. I'm like, I have a different idea of what's fun than you do. Well, Leave me alone. I think I know myself a little bit better than you do. <laughs> and so I was a little put off by him saying, like, a woman like you should be out on a Saturday night. I think I can see that what he meant to do was give her a compliment, yeah. that that was his way of giving her a compliment. Like, hey, I think you're special. Mm -hmm. And that's nice. <laughs> but the execution was a little off for me. But what did you two think? I didn't like that line either. I'll just say that. But I also, real quick, you're reminding me that one of my favorite storylinettes on a different show, Gilmore Girls, was in season two, Lorelai, also Lauren Graham, is like going out of town and Rory gets the house to herself for the night and everyone keeps trying to make her go do things with her. Like her boyfriend is like, come out with me. And her friend is like, like study with me. And she has her whole night plan. She's like, I'm going to order Indian food. I'm going to do all my laundry. And she's excited about it. Right. She's like, and I no nothing. So me. I know nothing I've ever seen before resonates with me more than that. And everyone kept trying to like, get her to do other things. And I feel like the whole point of it was she's like, I know myself, this is what I want to do with my evening. And I love that because I feel like it was a show that for once presented an introvert's dream night as being a true <laughs> thing. And like, yeah. instead it's usually like, it's so sad that Sarah doesn't have anywhere to go on Saturday night, isn't yeah. it? It's just yeah. so tragic. No one loves Sarah. But I'm like, that's not true. Everyone loves Sarah. Sarah could probably stay home some Saturday nights and figure some shit out. She's probably fine. <laughs> anyway, so those are just some thoughts I had. Yeah, it's so funny. I mean, I hadn't thought much about the storyline yet because it doesn't flesh it. I mean, other than I guess she eventually goes to the party in the episode but not knowing where their relationship will ultimately go I just Caleb until you said it I don't think it would have struck me but I was like I wouldn't want to go to a party with a bunch of people I didn't know yeah I wouldn't that doesn't sound fun to me at all if I start to get to know you better 
And then I come to your party and get to meet people who I know. But just as an acquaintance, that sounds uh, like a stress-inducing situation yeah. to yeah. me. It would, it totally. would make me nervous. It would feel like an event rather than a way to let loose on Saturday, which for me would be watching something on I don't know, Netflix. I dream about it all week. Yeah. I'm so tired. Yeah. That's all I want to do. Watching a movie yes. and <laughs> eat some snacks that are curated for that night. It's ideal. Like, yeah. yeah. This is why I like you people. This is this is it right here. I love you guys. <laughs> now, I will say this. I recently just finished an event. It was just a few days long, but they were very action-packed days. I was music directing and playing the piano for this event. And when the event was done... All I wanted to do was go back to my hotel room, take off the fancy but uncomfortable clothes that mm-hmm. I had been wearing all day, order a pizza, and just have some time to myself. Yes. And then the people who organized the event were like, oh, hey, we made reservations at the Palm across the street, and you're invited. And I thought, oh, I so don't want to go. <laughs> And I don't want to keep these clothes on. I don't want to go eat fancy food. <laughs> I don't want to like be socializing, even though I genuinely like those people. It was not a situation where like I don't know anybody. I did know them. But I thought, well, it's a free meal. And <laughs> this is the last day. I It's rude if I don't go. I should just go. And I thought, you know, I can leave early if I'm really not feeling it. And I ended up having a wonderful time. So, yes, Pushing yourself outside of your comfort zone certainly can have its benefits. But I also think knowing yourself and respecting your own ideas of what is fun or satisfying is also important. Yes. Sometimes it is really great to go out, too. My favorite night of AWP, this conference I went to recently, was going out singing karaoke with people. That's the most social thing I think I've ever done. I used to do that every (laughs) week in college. I loved it so much. And yeah, anyway, I just mentioned that because yeah, sometimes people are like, come out, do this. And it's the right thing. And I do think Sarah looked like she was on her way to having a good time at that party. But yeah, it's interesting just because Carl was right. Like, and Zeke was right. Like, like come to this party, give it a chance. Doesn't mean that it's the opposite is sad and lonely and not also its own brand of fun. And also let's not tell women what to do or anyone, I suppose, but especially Carl seems a little condescending. Like, you know, I think he meant to be very sweet there, but yeah, like, like, yeah, yeah. it feels like I know what you need. Yeah. (laughs) What you need is that I was, yeah, I will say though, her conversation with Zeke, it took an angle on this situation hadn't occurred to me and I was sort of impressed with the show for pulling it off. I just can't believe that this is how you want to spend your Saturday. Well, this is how you're spending your Saturday. I mean, I don't understand that. You should be out there meeting people, you know, having fun. Why aren't you doing that? Uh, Excuse me. I don't need to be out there meeting people. I'm here with my dear old dad. Hmm. And if you must know, I was invited to a a party tonight and I'm I'm not going. Why aren't you going? Because I'm here with you, plus I won't, you know, I don't know anybody. Well, you're not going to get a chance to know anybody sitting around here with your old man. I don't need a man, Dad. I'm fine on my own. You well, know. I wasn't necessarily talking about a man, Sarah. Oh. You've changed, and I, you started this whole new life. you got a whole new place. You can go out there and have adventures, mm-hmm. and you can expand your horizons like your mother's talking about doing. Let's just go do that, you know? Who's going to hang out here with you? 
Well, uh, quite frankly, having you around here complaining about <laughs> what I'm doing and... All right, Dad, I'm gonna expand, okay? I'm gonna expand my horizons <laughs> to have a, an adventure. And uh, I'm gonna go to this party where I don't know anybody, okay? And while you're doing all of that, you might meet a nice guy. Oh, I don't wanna meet a guy, Dad. Okay, fine. Whatever. But in case I do, I'm taking your beer. Yeah. Night. Night. <laughs> It's sort of sweet. She almost sounds like a teenager for a second. It's yeah. so beautiful. Yeah. Oh, don't um. need a guy, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> it uh. hadn't occurred to me until Zeke brought it up. Sarah has made huge changes in her life very recently. She broke off an engagement. She broke up with Hank. She started a new job and maybe a new career. She moved out of her parents' house after having moved back there kind of in defeat. She's an empty nester. Yeah. Now that she's on her own, what is she looking forward to? Oh, that is nice. And I like that Zeke pointed it out, and not in a mean way, in a very supportive way. And I like that he sort of favorably compared it with what Camille is doing. I loved that. So he's not just pouting about how that all went down. It sounds like maybe he actually understands it. And he's not a stupid guy, and I think he's a good father, so I think he wants his, the best for his daughter. Yeah. Anyway, I, then I felt like, yeah, Sarah, you know, maybe it doesn't have to be this party, but you've made a lot of changes. Don't lose yourself among them and just hide out in your super apartment. Yeah. Caleb, you mentioning the idea that he, like, brings up Camille favorably, uh, what she's doing, I thought was a really good point because the beginning of this episode with him like listening to CCR and like I mean <laughs> I I wrote in my notes that <laughs> Zeke living without Camille is like Kevin in Home Alone discovering his parents have left him <laughs> like he's just eating all the ice cream and peeing in the yard and like it's ridiculous on one level and my my first I have to admit my first impression of it was very negative I was like you are a child man like you're not a you're not a grown up at all this is ridiculous but hearing him say that to Sarah and then the way he talks to Camille on like FaceTime or whatever later, it makes it obvious that some of this is maybe masking some hurt. And then I also have to call out my myself for being a bit of a hypocrite because I just talked about how lovely it was that Rory Gilmore enjoyed an evening at home and we all love an evening at home. Zeke is also <laughs> getting some alone time. This is what he chooses to do with it. Maybe I should be glad for him that he's not just pouting that she's gone and that he's looking for the silver lining and he's putting whipped cream on everything. I don't know. <laughs> I'm so frivolously focused on the fact now that Zeke, didn't he put whipped cream on Fruit Loops? Yes. And then Crosby was eating Fruit Loops and saying to Aida, are you just looking forward to the day when you can eat Fruit Loops? Maybe Fruit Loops was a sponsor What's of Fruit Loops episode? a sponsor? Like they're the new Nissan? <laughs> Is Fruit Loop the ring? <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> if he had just bought me a Fruit Loop here. <laughs> would, have loved, would have loved that. A candy ring. I don't need this. I need a Fruit Loop. Okay. <laughs> Back to Zeke. Oh man. No, but that was that was it. I guess I just traveled through a lot of emotions with him. I really thought at first that his reaction to his wife being gone sucked. I was like, you never appreciated her. Now you're acting like it's a blessing that she's out of the house. How dare you? And now I, for whatever reason, I'm like having all this compassion, I think, cause I'm like, well, he was so kind to Sarah. He was so happy to talk to Camille. He's not yeah. bitching about her being gone. 
maybe I need to look at this differently. Yeah. So anyway, those are, Hmm. yeah. I thought it was so amazing that she went to Italy for a month to do art. And it's not that he could tell her no, he certainly didn't from the little blurb, like recap blurb I saw. But it seemed to me, at least what I thought was eventually sweet when he's talking to her, he loves her very much, certainly misses her and is maybe a little bit lonely, but seems to be supportive of her doing what she's doing. At least that's how it read to me that it was okay for it to be a little more complex. And that, of course, he could be lonely. Yeah, I saw just a lot of love for her and support. I love that. Eventually, at least in some form. Yeah. And I was trying to figure out what it was I was picking up on in his Skype call with her because he was so sweet and supportive. But then it also seemed like, you know, he obviously wanted more, but she had to go. But he wasn't saying, no, 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 stay. He was saying, oh, don't miss your bus. So he understood practically that she needed to go. And I think maybe what I saw was a realization in him that if he is not on board with the ways in which she wants to grow, he might get left behind. Mm. And in this case, it's just quite literal. Well, she left you behind. She's going to come back. She hasn't deserted you. Yeah. Yeah. But she's going to go have these experiences and you're not going to be a part of them. And if you're okay with that, and if she's okay with that, then I think it's fine. But it is one thing to think you're okay with that and probably quite another to then have to listen to her, or in, in this case, see her yeah. in this other place, just flourishing. She and looks realizing, so beautiful. Yeah. yeah. Good grief. And just realizing, oh, I'm not a part of this. Yeah. So maybe that'll nudge him a little closer to where she's been trying to get him. Well, and not mm. to step on your eventual like theme of the episode, but I'm now occur. It's occurring to me like the insecurity really feels like a theme. I don't know if that's the one that you pinpointed, but I'm I like, hadn't pinpointed. Whoa! One, so. Well, then let me just say, uh, the, all I had was Fruit Loops. You know. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, we got. Crosby being insecure about Jabbar and then we have Ryan feeling insecure and Amber feeling insecure about like talking to him about it. And then this, you know, I think Zeke is a little insecure about his place in Camille's life right now because usually he is the gregarious one and he is the one, she's the one who usually feels kind of like an afterthought. And I think, oh, he's learning what that feels like. That's interesting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I don't think she's doing it to teach him that, which I think makes it even more potent. Yeah. Also, fun fact, I learned from their Skype call that Zeke's email address is zeke.braverman at hotmail.com. Hotmail. Hotmail. Robot. MK, were you going to say something? I feel like you and I started to talk at the same time. I wouldn't have thought of maybe a theme, but I feel like there's some acceptance themes running through it too. Yeah, maybe another side of the insecurity coin. Just acceptance of, well, like accepting an invitation to a party. Yeah. (laughs) That's the obvious one. No, acceptance (laughs) of your partner going off and doing something that they want to do. Acceptance of my son loving ballet. Acceptance that I'm going to have to go back to the fourth grade and that's really going to hurt, but it's the best thing for me. Accepting that I need to tell this person the truth because if we're going to start a life together, I don't want to start it pretending that I like this thing that gives me a lot of angst. Yeah. Yeah. 
look, we've cracked it. And there's still like two storylines left. How they were so smart. (laughs) Was I supposed to wait on? No, no, no. I'm joking because I did it first. Um, I was like, here's let me just say. But I think it's so interesting. I I now want to see if our ideas carry through to the next ones. Yeah. Well, this episode was just full of deep callbacks. I thought I loved it in the recap. We had scenes from season five and season three and season two. Wow. Because you need all of that information to understand what's going on this episode. I guess they're all kind of concentrated in the Christina storyline. But the Bob Amber tryst was from season three. And then the punching in the supermarket incident was in season two. Yeah. So continuing my like freeze frame, observing the screen with a magnifying glass, the website that Christina is watching Adam's video on, his Get Off My Lawn video, has this description, quote, Check out this amazing remix from the Evening News featuring Berkeley mayoral candidate Christina Braverman's husband, Adam, rapping at all those damn kids on his lawn. And my favorite part of that is that they misspelled Berkeley. Oh! On the screen, they left out the third E. Whoa. L-E-Y. And the website that she was watching it on was called The Gossip Bay. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, okay. is that important information? Absolutely not. But, I, um, but you got it. Or is it? I feel like it's essential. So the dilemma of whether or not to use the dirt they have on Bob was so juicy to me. I just love these kinds of like ethical quandaries. You know, I've said it before and I'll say it again. I am loving season five, Christina. Christina, how are you? I'm great, Bob. How are you? you? Want a coffee? No, you I don't want, want a down? coffee. I don't want anything. Listen to me. I just want you to tell me straight that this story about Adam came from you. I know that it did. Come on, Christina. I can't believe that you would do this. I mean, I thought you we can't were friends. I would do what to you? We are friends. This is we a complete friends. betrayal of our friendship. Well, a betrayal, just... Christina. Hold on a no, second. No, I'm not going to hold on. I'm actually pissed. Campaigns get a little messy, Christina. Well, I, I can't get be it. responsible. I know that. For every... Well, if you know that, then why are you here yelling I'm at me the like one I'm the bad running, guy? Running, Bob. Not my family. I completely Leave understand them out that. Of it, okay? I had... Did you get that? You know what? There are some things that I could share about you, Bob. That. Go ahead, and... Christina. But you're not going to say anything because that's just not who you are. Otherwise, I would have won that campaign two years ago. Oh. But I'm not going to lose this one. Damn. You don't know who I am. No idea. Not a clue. Big mistake. Yes. Big. Huge. She really sounded like Julia Roberts there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I just love how easily she expresses her frustration and... Yeah. Right to the source. Yeah. You know, she's not saying it to Adam. I mean, she then goes on to say it to Adam. Yeah. I just love, yeah. Oh, yeah. Right to him and say, you know, I'm pissed at you. Yeah. I thought it was amazing. I think I wrote something similar. I think I was like, I love Christina this season. The way she talks to Bob (laughs) is fantastic. That's what I wrote. Yeah. Yeah. So let me ask the big question. I mean, spoiler alert, she doesn't end up revealing anything about Amber. Do you wish that she had? Yes. I actually don't think it's the ethical dilemma the show presents it as, and it'll be interesting to see if you guys agree with me. I actually think that it's unethical not to disclose it. I'm like, well, so he can just go harass other interns who work for him when he eventually right. becomes mayor. I'm like, this is not some 
made up shit like what you know or blowing it out of context or something like what he did to them i think that's different from a smear campaign i think this is a public service this man is a predator and people should know that and especially when amber's like people need to know i don't want him to be the mayor i'm like how did this get turned into christina's doing the right thing by protecting a predator i'm sorry but that is actually how i saw it so i didn't think that was the right thing to do at all yeah I'm on team Melissa on that. (laughs) I felt the same way. I just, well, and I guess I felt like Amber was okay with it. I thought there was even a way to disclose it without revealing her identity. If you really needed to do that, I guess what it spoke to maybe is more how skewed or what we think of as a smear campaign or negative campaigning is telling the truth, negative campaigning all of the sudden. (laughs) And that's what I thought was complicated. I, I, yeah, I wish she had revealed it. If for no other reason, the distinction of a smear campaign is taking something out of context and even like that picture of them yelling at the soccer game versus no, this guy really did this thing, but I'm sure it would have been spun as negative campaigning. And that's Mm -hmm. what's more fucked up. I think. Yeah. It's funny. Just, this is so not the point, but you just saying that now, I actually thought the soccer picture was worse than the punching incident because the soccer picture is meaningless. Yeah. And they are trying to make it mean something. Right. Yeah. I don't think Adam or Christina to a certain degree would defend Adam punching that guy. Right. I think they both agree. Yes. You can't just go around punching people. That is wrong. I was provoked because of a very hurtful situation, but I can acknowledge violence is not the answer, you know? Anyway, that aside, I'm glad you said this because I wished she would have said something too, but I was really just thinking of the like, yeah, call his bluff. Like this guy thinks he can get away with this. Don't let him. But you're so right. There's a larger issue even beyond that. I mean, I guess it's, I guess it's noble. It, It did. I feel like sort of say something about her at the end when they asked her, like, why do you think of the way Bob Little is running his campaign for her to say, I have no comment? I'm like, okay, that is indicative of something that I think is nice, which yeah. is like, I'm not concerned with him. He can do whatever he wants. Mm-hmm. I'm. This is the way I'm going to run my campaign. It's about me and not him. Yeah. yeah. But beyond that, I think you're so right that there's nothing noble about keeping that information hidden. It's weird to me almost that it was presented that way. Like, you know, you did the right thing. Yeah. Yeah, and and I wonder if that again is just like the difference of a decade. Like if now yeah. they would have thought of something that they didn't oh. think of the writers. I mean, you know, in in 2013, which I find endlessly fascinating. The idea that we're hopefully always progressing, and and you know, it's why you go back and you watch something and you find troubling things there that you didn't notice the first time. It's because we're different. These things are like time capsules, and we're hopefully growing all the time. And as you both said, I loved that Amber was okay with it. Yeah. What? I can't believe that he would do this. Amber, I can't either. I just, I'm so bummed, you know? Like, I feel like... I thought he was, like, a good guy, generally. We were friends, you know? We're friends. I just feel, like, totally betrayed, and... It's so it's just awful. so gross. I'm just tired, and I don't know. You know what we have to do. I... Don't you dare... to. Okay. You know that there's no way Uncle that we can't. Uncle Adam and I have been talking about this, and he's been asking 
Good, I mean, good. No, it's not good. I'm not pulling you into this. It There's... doesn't matter. There's no way that we can let him get away with this, with spinning oh. something like what Uncle Adam did into this when when we have this on him. I know we have it, but honey, it's the right you would thing be to do. all over the media. You, they would be following you. That's to fine. To home, everything. I can handle it. I don't want this guy in office. He's I know. dishonest. I don't either, but... I'll think about it. Do you it. promise you'll think about I it for real? I will. I promise. Do you promise? I pinky promise pinky that promise. I'll think about it. I was really struck by how the show feels like they are subtly acknowledging that they're kind of rewriting history with Bob. Mm. That Amber was like, I thought he was a good guy. And like, because I, when he first was on the show, MK in season three, mm -hmm. I think we were supposed to like him. Like we were supposed uh -huh. to be sort of like, oh, is this relationship entirely appropriate but I don't think we were supposed to perceive him as creepy or like gross. Yeah. But now I think we definitely are. And <laughs> and it, ironically, it doesn't feel like rewriting history to me. It just like him showing a side he's never really shown before. And when this happens in real life and someone is revealed to have behaved inappropriately, there's always people going, I never yeah. you know, saw that from him before and I would yep. never have guessed it. And it's like, well, that's because people hide those parts of themselves. And right. I think Bob is very aware of how he comes across and how he presents himself. And he's careful to present the picture he wants people to see. Yeah. Good politician. Yeah, he is. Yeah. Some might say. Some and might I say. loved Amber's willingness to get involved and to say, that's fine. Yeah. I, I thought it showed yeah. a lot of a more courage of a different sort. Yeah. Another theme. And just real support <laughs> of Christina. Yet this isn't fair that he's saying this about my family. Yeah, I actually had a little note that was like, turns out no one knows how to feel about Bob Little. <laughs> like like when, when she, <laughs> you know, like thought he was a good guy. I picked up on that too. I thought that is so interesting. Like maybe the show itself is like, where do we come down on Bob? Like, we're just, it's real murky. Well, I wonder if yeah. they, even in the time between season three and season five, rethought that storyline. I wonder. I love that. I hope so, actually. Like, if yeah. enough people were like, was that supposed to be romantic? It was sexual assault. Or, like, it was not assault. That's too far. Harassment. It was harassment, you know? Like, it was abuse of power. Yeah. yeah. There was one little exchange in this storyline that I know Melissa wanted people's opinions on. Let's begin with the tape. I'm not going to lose. I'm not I losing. I love it when you get feisty like this. I'm feisty, I'm just mad. Well, let's just maybe stay up here for I'm going minutes. downstairs to fix this. What do you say, honey? Okay, so first and foremost, I need to make it very clear that I understand that was meant to be comedic. I do get that. <laughs> but it is a personal pet peeve of mine if a woman is expressing like anger like righteous anger <laughs> and someone sort of is like, oh, that's hot. Like your anger is really turning me on. The idea of a woman like not pretend railing, but like actually she's not thinking about sex in this moment. She's mad. She's formulating a plan. And he's like, that's really turning me on. You want to stay up here for like 15 minutes? It's, you know, I'm like yeah. not respectful in my opinion. And I couldn't find it funny. I don't know. So I was just curious <laughs> if that makes sense or if you're like, Melissa, chill. No, I don't know. But like me saying that, what do you think? Any thoughts on that? Mm. Yeah, it, it was cute. Yeah, tough. <laughs> it, yeah, I'm sure it was cute. And like, you know, has, they seem to have a good relationship. They do. I really, yeah. But yeah, I think it's like the bigger issue of typical. She goes, no, I'm just mad. <laughs> like literally the word she says. Yeah. 
so I I see where you're coming from. I can see. Yeah, it. I do too. Like, and because it's different from after we played the scene with Bob, where she was mad, and we were all like, "God, I love her," but we weren't wanting to have sex with right. her. We, yes. we were admiring, yeah. yeah, a trait in her that she hasn't always she hasn't always been able to express herself so easily. Yeah. And so if he had said something to that effect, like, I really admire how passionate you are about this. Yeah. Or I love the side of you. Yeah. yeah. Stand up for what you believe in. But this did feel a little cheap. Yeah. Trivializing. And I agree with you that it was, it was for laughs. Yes. Yes. But still. But I think the issue you raise is a good point. Thank you. Well said. Also, maybe just like, Read the room, Adam. Yeah, not right now. <laughs> sort of like the ballet, like, oh, he's working the ratio. It's like, uh, yeah, this was not a great episode for Adam, even though he had hardly anything to do. He just he messes it up. He was just a little up. dense. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So. A little tone deaf. And yeah. get off my lawn. Oh, like, God, yeah. Also, also, <laughs> would a mayoral candidate's husband really be mobbed by press? No. I, I, I don't, don't know. know. I just in Berkeley, like in a large <laughs> but not enormous city. I don't know. Get off my lawn. Well, last but not least, Oof. the Victor situation and how it affects Joel and Julia is where we finish today. Yes. Let's begin with Julia and Miss McKindo. I know we have a meeting on the books for Friday, and you probably don't want to speak out of school, but. Well, no, I can't. Oh. I mean, Friday is the best time. Principal yeah. Evans will be there. Right. I know. I know. If you could give me anything, just a little heads up on. I, re- I really can't. Okay. Okay. Oh. I can't sleep. I'm, I'm really having a rough time not knowing what's happening with my son. It's kind of all I'm thinking about. So, um. This really should come from the principal. What? But what is it? Well, I know you've been working really hard, and he just keeps falling more and more behind. Right. We don't want him to fall any more behind than he already is. Right. We want him to succeed. Right. So... So we're recommending that he move back to the fourth grade for the rest of the year. Okay. I'm sorry. I'm really sorry. No, I uh... know how hard this is going to be. I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said anything. I should have waited until we were with the principal. Oh, I really appreciate you telling me. Thank you. It's going to be okay. Okay. All right, I'll see you Friday. Okay. Okay. Melissa. Yes. Well, I guess I'll ask MK too. You yeah, we're both teachers. Yes. Two high school teachers. What is going on with this school? Like, <laughs> as someone who's not a teacher, yeah. <laughs> I understand that you would make an appointment to discuss a specific issue with parents. But it feels strange to me that the decision has clearly already been made and is being withheld until some future date. Huh. Yeah. Like, and I, I mean, I realize like schedule wise, it might just be like, well, this is the time everyone can meet. And maybe we had to make this decision by some other date. And anyway, I realized there's some wiggle room, but it felt odd to me that like, I feel like this happened on a Tuesday or something. Right. And it's like, so you knew Tuesday, but you weren't going to tell them until Friday. Yeah. Like maybe that's time to use the phone or email. Right. Say, a decision has been reached. Here it is right now. 
Anyway, am I being crazy? And then the maybe more substantive issue of, do they really move kids back in the middle of the school year? I know we've touched on it before, but I don't know if we've ever really discussed it. Yeah, I mean, I guess I'm in a pretty unique school situation now. It's some crazy amount, like 2,000 kids applied and 200 get. We're like one in eight or one in 10 kids get in. So you're already at a pretty high academic level, but boy, I mean, we have so many safety nets to catch kids. We have a learning center and tutors and study hall, structured study hall if they need it. We really do everything we can. So I can't fathom. I just, I was kind of, my wheels were spinning, like get the kid a tutor, more tutors, extra tutors. (laughs) There has to be some way to support him that doesn't involve ripping the social impact of that, ripping him from his friends developmentally seems to me like it would be way far worse than the academic impact. Yeah. And also tell them what it's about. Not telling them what it's about Mm -hmm. might've been for dramatic effect. I can't imagine a school wouldn't at least give a signal so that the parent could, as Julia says, sleep at night or not lose it. I hate to say this because I actually love Joel and Julia having marital problems. I mean, I don't love it like I'm a terrible person, but like storyline wise, I think it's great. And it's a long time coming. It's so satisfying and interesting. They have terrible communication and just the fact that she is at home and he is working now. I love all that. I sort of think the Victor stuff is contrived and I don't think they needed it. I think that it would have been enough to cause their marital issues to just have this imbalance. And I don't know, maybe it makes sense for the issue to have to do with Victor, but yeah, I just think no part of me believes that a school would make this decision. I don't even think they would have brought it up at the beginning of the school year. I think it would have been an end of last year discussion. Also, you know, I do know that I like talked to my husband about it because he's an elementary teacher and and he was talking about the very things you were talking about, MK, like the, the, the that social aspect being so important. And also, if you're just going to put him with his exact same fourth grade teacher he had before, that is not a way to make gains. I thought of that. Right. I thought of that when Sydney was like, is he going to do this project again? And Julia's like, oh, he's already done that project. I'm like, He's just going to do all the same shit that he did last year. That's not going to help him be a better reader, like the same projects and stuff. In some ways, isn't it almost arbitrary? Like we do this project in third grade and this project in fourth grade. Like, like yeah, fill in those gaps other ways. And they keep saying, I've worked with them. I've worked with them. But Julia is the one working with them and she's not an expert at this. She's an expert parent. But like, I don't understand how Julia working with him on his reading at night equals getting him professional help for what he needs. Like, why doesn't he have an IEP? Why isn't he with a para? Why isn't he getting specialized classes or or time out of the room or something? And, And so I think it makes it really hard to know who to sympathize with because I do normally sympathize with Joel more than Julia, although I think he's being pretty harsh in this episode. But I'm also like, I think he's right, but I think the show wants me to think that Julia's right. Yeah. I don't know. So it's hard for me to know. I think that the whole thing was ludicrous. Yeah, the school handled that badly, (laughs) but I don't even believe it. So it's like, you know, yeah. yeah, True. Yeah. It's like creative license kind of pushes the teachers in the room too far. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, We're just supposed to be like, go with it. But uh, we're teachers. So we're like, are we going with it? No. (laughs) So anyway. Well, then she turns to Ed for comfort. Uh, And I 
I have to say, I vividly remember Ed hugging Julia because of his size and her size. Wow. It just looks so super comfy. Like, I feel like she, <laughs> she fits right there, like under his chin, between his arms. I'm just like, yeah, that is like solace personified, wow. which is exactly what she needs in that moment. Yeah. And and it's so funny they didn't kiss. No. But I thought the intimacy that that physicality communicated. I was like, wow, you just Oh yeah. You yeah. know, we've been calling it an emotional affair and even just from that hug, I'm like, how dare you? That was <laughs> crossing a line. Although wow. I don't well, I was about to say I don't think there was much sexual to it. I think she genuinely needed comfort. But I think the way they pulled away says there was some sexuality to it. I wrote, interesting to wonder where to draw the line with that hug with Ed. If someone's crying, it's natural to want to comfort them. Yeah. But but it went on so long and they have feelings for each other. I mean, the show hasn't like explicitly told us that, but the show has told us that. Yeah. yeah. And so that is tricky. I mean, if someone that you are attracted to is crying... I can see where you could talk yourself into being like, I should go comfort that person just as a decent person. <laughs> That's all. Yeah. yeah. But I think honestly, let him self soothe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think what probably what he should have done, like honestly, is just like keep a respectful distance and just be like, Julia, are you are you okay? You, you're obviously not okay. What can I do? Can I call someone? Do you need to talk? You know, like you just have to like say it in a way that keeps it that professional distance and they're just crossing all these boundaries left and right. So, oh yeah. Yeah. And they want to, and that's why they did yeah. that instead of something else. Yeah. Yeah. And then it leads to ugh, this, this fight. Let's just count the ways. This is a horrible fight. I was right. They want to hold him back. And you know this. I ran into Miss McKinnon today at school and she told me. Ran into. So, yeah, I was there for sustainability, and, and I saw her. And you just couldn't help yourself. Joel. I mean, you can't call me about this or text me or have a discussion with me before this. You were at work, and I'm this. telling you now. So you went and had our conversation with Miss McKindo without me. I ran into her, and can we talk about the real issue here? Our okay. son is being yanked out of his class in the middle of the school year, and we need to figure no. out how to talk to him about no. it. No. We are not doing that. I don't think we have a choice anymore. Yes, we do, so. Julie. We're going to go in and tell the principal that he can go screw himself. Oh. We're going to pull our son out right now. It's going to be a total disaster for him. I know. That's why I wanted to do it at the beginning of the school year. Oh, so this is my fault. This is all on me? No. Is that what you're saying? Can you... I am not doing that to him. I am not going to do it's that to him. That we'll we're find in a private now. school. We'll find some sort of way Don't to pay for it. We'll find somebody who knows what they're talking salary. about. What? I'm being practical. Let's look at our options. It's not an option. On my salary. On your salary. Well, no one asked you to go quit your job, did they? But you went and did that. Just like you went and talked to Miss McKindo. All these decisions you're making, they're bad decisions. You're not helping here. Ooh. Okay, so, so Julia tried to blow right past his legitimate gripe about her having a conversation meant for both of them on her own. Yep. And I understand that she was focused on the content of that conversation, but like, Julia, you got to hear him out yeah. because yeah. he is not wrong. You both were just talking about Friday. We're going to deal with this Friday. Yeah. Anyway, and then he was awfully harsh on her. Lots of you messages. 
This, I didn't ask you to do that. These decisions you're making aren't healthy. And I'm not convinced she has been making bad decisions. Like, yeah. it's just not ones he agrees with. Yeah. And then to end with you're not helping, I understand what he means. But gosh, that would be so hurtful when I do sincerely believe that all Julia wants is to help yes. Victor. Yeah, I do agree and with that. To have your husband yell at you, you're not helping. Ugh. Yeah. Although I did write in my notes, well, crossing the line with Ed and Miss McKindo are both bad decisions. <laughs> but in <laughs> retrospect, true. her instinct to move Victor at the beginning of the year seems pretty reasonable. Yeah. Yeah. Although, as you said, it's reasonable within this. <laughs> ridiculous. Uh, yes. Ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. <In> this fictional. <sighs> unrealistic. Yeah. I really hear both of them. I don't know. I see. I think I might see his side a little more just because I did kind of start at this thing she did on her own. I can see her kind of be the person who was like always taking reins and crossing that boundary a lot, basically, basically crossing that line a lot. Yeah. Well, especially after hearing you both say how unrealistic what the school is doing is, it does give me a slightly different perspective on Joel's attitude throughout all of this. Like when she says they're going to hold him back, they're yanking our son out in the middle of the year. For Joel to say, no, we're not doing that. We'll go to another school. I suddenly felt like they have been fighting different battles on Victor's behalf this whole time. And it's like Julia's trying, Julia's just accepting what the school is saying and saying, Joel, please join me in supporting our son through this and figuring out the best way to handle it. And I feel like what Joel is saying is, Julia, Please join me in this battle against the school and this horrible decision they're making. And I think they each feel like they're yeah, that's a good point. They've been so deserted yeah. by the other person. And in this moment now, I I gotta say I agree with Joel more. But I think I wasn't thinking about no school worth their salt would ever do this. <laughs> so to know that the idea of like no, we can't let this happen. Just feels all the more reasonable. I'm like, he's being the reasonable one, Julia. Yeah. You need to be a little more like skeptical, maybe, of what your school is advising you to do. And I think that's the trouble with this aspect of the storyline, is I really think that at least to some level, we are supposed to be like, what's up with Joel? Why is Joel suddenly being so harsh with his wife? But I think because the things causing this are really like, her having an emotional affair with someone else and her backing the school on a bad decision regarding their son. Yeah. I'm like, well, this is why he's being harsh with you. I mean, even though he doesn't fully know about Ed, I I don't know. We do, I guess. And so like, it's, it's really interesting because I want to be more objective and I want to be with her as she's feeling betrayed. Like Joel doesn't talk to me like this. Why is he suddenly talking to me like this? But I think I'm more like, well, he's fed up (laughs) because he's never gotten to have an opinion on anything. And when it doesn't matter that much to him, he's like, all right, sure. But this matters to him. And he doesn't want to just give in to you like he always does. And I think I'd feel the same way if the genders were flipped. I really do. Because Christina hasn't been bothering me on this rewatch. Adam has been, you know. And so it's I think it's like the person who is... I don't know what the word is I'm looking for, but the the person who's like not always trying to accommodate and acquiesce and compromise. It's the person who wants what they want and sees my it their sister. Way. I'm with my sister Lindsay right now. I mean, not literally in the room, but I'm in her house, and she was talking to me about Joel and Julia earlier today. And she said, "You know how our uncle Lyle 
who was a guest on episode 209. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or maybe it was 208. One of those. She said, you've heard him say how in every relationship there's a flower and a gardener, right? I was like, oh, maybe. I know that that was in an episode of Will and Grace once. <laughs> Lindsay was like, oh, Julia is a flower. She needs to be tended. <laughs> she needs to be cared for. She needs to be preened and exalted. And Joel is the nurturer and the worker and the... And yeah, yeah, what you were just saying Ugh. feels like that a little bit. Like Joel is like, in this one instance, like I'm not just going to keep nurturing this yeah. this flower when I think the flower is doing the wrong thing. Yeah. <laughs> the metaphor sort of. Yeah. You know, but no. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, but Fuck like you flower. <laughs> but like Julie is just going to go get herself a different gardener, someone who will. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. he didn't garden that squash. That's true. The sustainability, <laughs> it fits. <laughs> anyway, man, that is crazy. Yeah. That- their situation has become unsustainable. Oh, oh. <laughs> that's good. I also appreciated, just like from a writing standpoint in this fight, the dredging up of past Mm, wrongs. Loved that. In terms of a relationship, it's horrible. Yeah, don't do that. But I think it's something that people do all the time and that no one asked you to quit your job. And Julia making a dig, what he feels is a dig at his salary as compared to her. You know, like all this stuff, like, yes, because... This is about more than just Victor, and that is the proof. Like, oh, you are still mad about that because you never resolved it. Yeah. You just let yeah. it fester. That is why I think this storyline is great. Like, the, the, the Victor stuff really feels like a contrivance to me, but all that stuff you just said, Caleb, that feels so well-earned because yeah. it's been there subtly in the background the entire time. Yeah. And what's so funny is I remember when I watched this the first time, thinking that their marital problems came out of nowhere. And I remember I remember thinking that was contrived. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, well, it's a show about relationships. We've got to have one of the marriages in trouble, right? Now, watching it so closely, I'm like, oh, no, this was... Grueling They had this long. date from the beginning, <laughs> to paraphrase Tennessee Williams. <laughs> well, I don't know what your second moment was that made you cry, MK, but this was the one that got me. This week... Your dad and I have been talking to Miss McKindo. Am I in trouble? No. No, no just the opposite. Yeah, I mean, not at all. So proud of you, and everybody knows you're working so hard. My grades still suck. Well, here's what we want for you. We want you to have a place where you can take some time to catch up, and you can work on your reading skills. And so your dad and I thought that it would be good for you to spend the rest of the year in fourth grade. I don't want to I don't want to do that. I can understand that. And we'll be here for you the whole time. No, no this isn't fair. We're we're almost halfway through the year. Buddy, I know it doesn't seem <gasps> fair. It just wouldn't We probably should have done it sooner, Victor, but we we wanted to make sure it was the right decision. But then I'll be in the same grade as Sydney? And what about all my friends? I'll never see them again. You remember when you started uh, Little League? And do you remember how hard that was and how scary it was to you at first? You'd never done it. And you practiced so hard. Yeah, exactly. You really put in the time. You put in the work, and then it clicked for you. And that's what this is going to be. You're going to go back to fourth, and you're going to try so hard, and then it's just going to click. You know? It's just going to click for you. And from that point on... Victor, you can do this. 
You're a brave boy. I know you can do this, and we'll help you. It's going to be fine, buddy. I want to be left alone. Get out. I said to get out! Victor! Oh, my gosh. Can that kid act? My Lord. I know, and I, I even looked it up again just to be sure. But Parenthood is Jolo Maridueña's first acting credit. What? He had not acted before. Wow. At least, like, drama. Maybe he'd done commercials or something. But on IMDb, Parenthood is the first thing. <laughs> That's bonkers. And I'm like, boy, they if they cast him just because of how cute he is, and especially when they adopted him, gosh, he was, like, one of the cutest kids I've ever Aww. seen on TV. But they lucked out because, yeah, wow, he could. Yeah, those big tears rolling down his face. And the way he looked at Joel throughout that scene, especially on the second watch, I realized they were really driving that point, I think, like directorially, that Victor was looking at him like, why are you doing this to me? Yeah. And that between Julia and Joel, it certainly felt like Joel was being forced to do something that he did not want to do. And when they left that room, the way he just walked away from Julia, it felt to me like, how dare you make me hurt my son like that? I will never forgive you for this. Oh, it did. That was the moment that made me cry the most. Me too. I think too, just something touching to me. I know I said it earlier where, as we've been talking, was just his ability to say, I would, I would like to be left alone. Get out. Yeah. And I think you watch, he is such a brilliant actor because you watch the moment where he's, it's like this five stages of grief or however many they say at first. He's like, no, I'm not going to do that. So he's like, starts with denial and you see the moment that he wow. accepts it, that he sees both parents that, and then the tears just start rolling, like that he sees uh, it's the, the inevitability of it. I thought it was so beautifully done. Wow. Yeah. God, that's a good. Point. And then his parents listen to him when he, I mean, I just think like that's one of the best gifts you can give a kid is not to shelter them from pain, but if they're having an emotional moment and asked to be left alone and have that sort of autonomy, and then you say, okay, yes, you can't, like you're allowed to have these feelings and your space to have them. I mean, despite all the marital shit that the, the unraveling of their marriage, right. that at least seems good. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> it does seem like they're still doing a good job Silver lining. in front yeah. of the kids. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It was cool for me to see that compared to the dead bird parent. Yeah. And to see what it looks like. Do you remember? Whoa. I would never have remembered this if you hadn't just said that. But on that episode, they had come to a decision that they were not going to tell Sydney about heaven. And then Julia just does yeah. what she wants. And yep. I very, yes. Yeah. There are just like a, a big old flower. <laughs> <laughs> there are just a million examples of that throughout the show. And usually Joel just goes with it. He's like, okay, you know, and, yeah. and it's no big deal until it is. My husband likes to say yeah. that a lot. He'll say, you know, it's not a big deal. Until it is like not not with me, but like, well, maybe sometimes with me, honestly, but like <laughs> like in general, like, you know, you yeah. forgive things, you forgive things and then you don't like, you know, there's just something happens. And I think it just pushes a person if they're, you know, it's all over the threshold. They're like, not this. This is yeah. my this is my limit. This is my stand. And I even wondered in that scene to see how hurt Victor was by this, even if in that moment Julia realized that this was what 
Joel had been trying to avoid all along. I don't think she did realize that. No. But even if she did and and realized, oh, this is what Joel was trying to communicate to me all along, that he didn't, like I said before, that he didn't just disagree with her. He disagreed with the school and he wanted her support in that. How can she possibly get back on the same page with him now? Yeah. Like it to me, it just feels like this has all gone yeah. so awry and it just feels impossible to set right. Like yeah. they disagreed on how to handle this so fundamentally. Yeah. And then as she does all the time, she just plowed through. I, I don't know how you set that right. No. Yeah. And if Mrs. McKindo and the principal had told them this, they would have been on equal footing, both of them hearing news that they weren't happy about. But the way, the, the reason I think that's such a yeah. big deal is now she is delivering the news in a way that it's like, I was right. I was right the whole time. Yeah. You should have done this before. Yeah. Hate when she added that in. Yes. Yeah, that's true. And to Victor. Like- and I think that is the really horrible part about her going and having that meeting without him, as he said. It like totally took away his voice. What might he have said at that meeting? Is it possible that the outcome could have been changed? Julia yeah. didn't, didn't want to fight the outcome. She was like, just thank you for telling me. What if Joel had said, I'm, I'm not doing this. What else can we do? Um, yeah. And, yeah. and so it just took away any chance he might have had of pleading his case. We didn't even see the meeting. Did you notice that? They're eating breakfast and it's a Saturday. And they're like, yeah. Daddy, why are you going to work on Saturday? And I'm like, God, they just blew past the real meeting. We didn't even see it. That's nuts. Like, yeah. yeah, Julia had the meeting. And Joel would have, if Joel is feeling like this is something Julia is forcing him to do, her circumventing the meeting, it, she's just making things worse for herself. Yeah. Because like you said, if they had gotten yeah. the information at the same time, he might not have been able to pin it on her yeah. so much. But now, at the way it did go down, it is sort of like, well, Julia got her way and it hurt our kid. Yeah. What do you do with that? Oh, that makes me <laughs> very scared for them. Yes, I know. And just poor Victor. Oh, my God. Yes, it's heartbreaking. This is such well, a good one. All that, yeah. I was gonna say, all that being said, I actually really enjoyed the episode. <laughs> Full of pain. I, I, just, I felt like all, oh, good. <laughs> I felt like all the conflicts felt really nuanced. Like no clear right or wrong. Sarah's thing with Carl felt a little tacked on, but I feel like whatever story that is is probably in its early stages still. And, yeah. And you know, the ring obviously referred to Amber's ring. But I also felt like it applied to Christina being in the ring Ooh, of politics. Love like that. that she was having to deal with blows coming her way and how That's she awesome. was going to yeah. respond. And then for Joel and Julia, maybe it deals with Julia's ring. Oh, yeah. Is it going to come off? Oh. <laughs> I, I just thought of that now. <laughs> They're sort of in a ring also, right? They're squaring yeah. off. So, yeah. Yeah. No, but it was good. And, you know, MK, I'm so glad you said you loved it as well because I feel like we're two for two with you then. We, I, I, you yeah. are such a deep person and I love the way that you talk and think. And I'm basing this off of like literally two interactions, but they've both been so soul-affirming. Right, and Trust me. they've been wonderful. <laughs> and so I just don't want to give you subpar. I want I want to give you so I'm glad that I think we we did that for you. Like Oh yeah. Yes, I here. feel lucky. <laughs> Good. Everyone, thank you for listening. And um please follow us on social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Parenthood Pals everywhere. And find all of our info at parenthoodpals.com. Thanks again to the fabulous MK Lawson. 
Thanks for having me. Yay. Buddies. And thank you all for listening. Until next time, may God bless and keep you always. And may your wishes all come true.